Good evening, everybody. Welcome back from your Christmas break. I hope everybody had a good holiday, got some good loot, um, and had some nice downtime. This is, of course, Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review, sitting here with John Niatawa from the Omaha World Herald. After Creighton got back on the floor to wrap up non-conference play with an 89-53 win over UMKC. Do they go by the Kangaroos or just the Roos? I called them the Roos. Weird. So, like, what's the difference? What's a Roo versus a Kangaroo? Maybe the Jays versus the Blue Jays. But they're still the Blue Jays, aren't they? So I guess they're still the Kangaroos. That's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe like a Roo is like a little like a cool version of a Kangaroo. Like, you know, the hip version. Yeah. Maybe. maybe they're a little bit embarrassed because they are called the Kangaroos and the Roos maybe confuse people and you don't know what Because there's like is. not that many kangaroos in Kansas City area. Maybe <laughs> yeah, they're just like, why did we, why did we pick the kangaroos? Right. Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah, I don't well, know. The, well, the Jays beat the Roos in the battle of the four-letter uh, mascots um, to wrap up non-conference play at 9-4 and four before Big East play starts with Providence on New Year's Eve afternoon. So New Year's afternoon. Yes. Um, but, you know, there's some things to dissect from the night because... While the Jays only had two days of prep after the Christmas break, you, you kind of expected some sloppiness. They're still did they prep or some mind? I was gonna ask, did they prep on Christmas? No, so they, they really just had... kind of they just they just kind of like got the legs going. It wasn't. I think they only practiced for like ninety minutes. So it was really only one day. Of prep. Yeah, yeah, it was only one day of prep. Yeah, so um, so I, there was probably I, you know I expected some sloppiness, but not to the degree that we saw it. I guess because it doesn't really it, UMKC was obviously. Um, pressure in the perimeter and, you know, taking some risks defensively, but I still felt like Creighton made some bad decisions with the basketball that I think if they don't get cleaned up, because this is the second game in the last three outings where they've had 18 turnovers, um, so it's tied their season high to the last three games, um, you know, that's going to cost them. Yeah, and I think they're forward, up, so. their turnover percentage is now up to 19.3 on the season. That's a lot too bad. Right, so that would be... What, one out of every five... Possessions Basically, and, and and that's higher. Obviously, it's much higher than last year. Last year, they were around 15%, top 25 in the country in turnover rate. Um, they weren't as good two years ago, but I think they were still uh, – now I'd have to look. Look at this memory retention right off the like, – yeah. he, just, he just got it. I, I that's, why say, John's, that's why John's a great – I want to say they were top 50, but part of me thinks that they were just top 75 two years ago. They weren't yeah. great. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to call you on us. If you, you want to <laughs> right. land on top 50, I don't think anyone's going to call you. I know that. I know technically, that, they were 57th. So. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, when Creighton's been at its best offensively, I think of I think of that team last year that was that was pretty efficient. And uh, um, Doug's senior year, that team was really good at keep taking care of the ball. They were top mm-hmm. 25 in turnover rate. So what they – and when you consider, I mean, yes, there's youth – but when you look at this team, Tyson Alexander played point guard last year in a backup role, but still he handles the ball pretty well. Mitch Ballack sees the floor really well. You've got Davion Mintz and Marcus Zagorowski, two point guards. Um, you've got a lot of players that you would think would be able, who are going to be in situations to make decisions who you would expect would be able to avoid turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, the big men do do handle it, and they're they're forced to make some decisions at times too. But I think that it it is a little bit surprising to see Creighton turning the ball over as much as it has. And tonight was tonight was just a little bit different because of the manner in which some of those turnovers occurred were kind of baffling. Their only single digit game in the turnover department this year is the Gonzaga game, which is weird. Because that's the number yes. one team in the country, so like theoretically that's their most difficult game. 
But that's the one where they were actually clean this with the ball. And it was a high-position game, too, so they could have had more and still, yeah, made, turnover, still been under percentage-wise. I was going to say, the yeah. turnover rate in that game probably, probably yeah. had to be pretty pretty low, get, right. considering how many possessions there were. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only one. Everything, I don't think they've been below. Yeah, other than that, the fewest is 12. So they were at 8 for Gonzaga and then 12 for Western Illinois and Montana. Other than that, they've been 15, 15, 14, 18, 18, 16. Twice. That's a lot of turnovers. They're at 183 on the season. And when you look at it, too, I mean, I haven't really charted it. Um, it. It doesn't feel like the turnovers are a result of their pace, really. I mean, um, I remember when I first started covering the team, it was two years ago with Maurice Watson, um, that group. And I remember talking to Maurice Watson because he his turnover number was kind of high yes. at the start of that season. Right. It's probably one of the reasons why they didn't finish top 50 in turnover rate last or two years ago. Um, and, and the conversation was about it's okay to make a t- turnovers when you're pushing tempo. You have aggressive turnovers where you're kind of just keeping the, the defense honest because you're – uh, it's almost like a deep ball in college football where even if you don't complete the pass, at least those safeties know, like, we got to be on high yeah, alert. We can't, hit us on it if right, we can't yeah. suck down and, and try to stop the run. So I feel like you can Creighton can live with some of those turnovers where they're just trying to force tempo and, and maybe uh, you know, they just happen to fumble a pass or throw a pass too long. But mm-hmm. – um, the turnovers that we've seen, I feel like, at Oklahoma for sure. And then, again, tonight, man, there were so many of them where it's just like you know, you're traveling at the top of the key at, at Oklahoma, stepping out on the uh, the baseline, dropping the ball a couple times, just passes that yeah, you I, think eyes could. Up when you're catching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. It, mm-hmm. um, so that, to me, is, is, is weird just because, um, you know, you'd expect this team that which – I mean, they, they do pride themselves on on making smart decisions with the basketball, and they run so much offense over the course of however many practices they have that they'd be a little bit uh, sharper with the basketball. And now, I will say though that Greg McDermott did mention they haven't spent more time on their defense over the last two weeks, yes, three oh, weeks yeah, 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 than yeah. than they had at, at any point this season. They've really stressed. I was at practice on Wednesday, and I feel like the first, I don't know, the first. 15 or 20 minutes they were working on like defensive fundamental just like concepts mm-hmm. they, they weren't even it wasn't even scout a lot oriented of, but stuff. a lot of defensive reps yeah yeah, yeah, yeah even yeah. in the drill work right and then the first practice before they played oklahoma that first practice after nebraska that was like 97 percent defense yeah. that whole afternoon yeah so yeah you're you're so you're th- right. They have been right. focusing maybe that's heavily on the defense. Maybe the that's ball. part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, their defense definitely needed work, and so I think oh, yeah. no their doubt. thought is is that you know they'll be able to clean some of this stuff up. They probably feel like they can catch up offensively quicker, quicker yeah. than they can if they let the defense fall off. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I, one thing I want to like revert back to while we're on the turnover subject. You remember last year when we were talking about this on I think a few podcasts actually was the assistant turnover ratio of each individual on the roster and how it was positive for most of the season. And if and I'm just looking at it right now, like the people that are under or the people that are below the positive mark for assist turnover ratio, Martin last year was 23 assists, 25 turnovers. 
Um, Jacob Everson was three assists, six turnovers. Manny Suarez was nine and eleven, and Jordan Scurry was three and four. Everybody else on the roster was had more assists than turnovers this yeah. year. Uh, Damian is below it. Martin is below it, and worse than he was last year. He has seven assists, eighteen turnovers. Um, Samson's below it. Jacob's below it. Uh, Christian and uh, Scurry, obviously, but like you know what I mean. Like it's not. It's not like it last year was probably as good as it probably it felt like it blew us away that the whole roster was <laughs> it did yeah, that had a, had a plus assist turnover ratio yeah. this year it's just not the case so um they are you know they do have more assists than turnovers so i guess they're still in the plus in the positive but but it's like you know what i mean but it, that's 183 is a lot for 13 games mm-hmm. and it's not and again the trend of late that we're we're kind of highlighting here is that two of the last three games have been their season high so it's going in the wrong direction yeah and the schedule's not gonna, you know, not, there's not many cup, there's no cupcakes left on the schedule, depending on how things shake out for the final two months of the season, um, injury wise in the league. But we don't, you know, you figure the game is still gonna be difficult, so um, they got to clean that up. Yeah, I because they're gonna lose games if they give the ball away that as much as they definitely. are. definitely a twenty percent turnover rate in the Big East is probably double digit losses, like ten or more. You know what I mean? Unless unless you shoot. 61%. 61% from the floor. I mean, that comes Unless you go 60-50, close to 80, because they did hit free throws tonight, so... Yeah. Unless they go 60-50, okay, 79. Then yeah. you can survive it. All right. Because, yeah, uh, what was the number? So they had 34 possessions in the first half, the Jays did. They turned it over 10 times. So let's just wipe those possessions off the... But you, the, you, you broke that down, though, because early there were more. Because they, they turned it over on seven of their first Yeah, the seven of their first 14. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was just so, saying, in the first half, it was... Um, so that obviously got better. When they, when they pulled away, they, they, it was yeah, much cleaner. When the, that stretch, when they... It was a 24-6 run, I think they turned it over. Um, well, I probably could look it up. But they turned it over two or three times during that big big run. Um, but he, here's the, the stat that I think Mitch Ballack said that the coaching staff relayed to the team at halftime was... They had 34 possessions. They turned it over 10 times. So of the 24 possessions that ended with a shot and not a turnover, um, they scored on 21 of those. That's crazy. They had three empty possessions that weren't turnovers. And and here's the other thing. I went back and looked at those three possessions. One of those possessions was the one where Davion Mintz missed the dunk. Another one of those possessions was uh, Tyshawn Alexander underneath the rim when they went to zone that one possession. And missed the layup. And missed the layup. Okay. And then the other one was uh, Davion Mintz's uh, jumper where he was trying to go for two for one and, and, and shot it quick and early at the end of the half. That is wild. Those are the three possessions that, that, that were is. empty without turnovers. Yeah, that's Otherwise, Creighton scored. So it's like if you can just find a way to eliminate some Not of those mistakes. In the foot, right, right. You, you are mm-hmm. incredibly efficient offensively. And I, honestly, if you look at the numbers for this team on the season, that bears true. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you, when you look at their shooting percentage – uh, from from inside the arc, from outside the arc, um, you know they, they're high. They want to push tempo, so they're going to get a lot of chances. I guess the free throw shooting is something that's obviously concerned, but um, the turnovers, man, that's 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 sort of the uh, the blemish. Yeah. So, because um, like if you're if we just if we can go by what you're by the way you're breaking it down, you know they scored eighty nine points tonight. With a twenty six percent turnover rate, like if you round it up, so um, you, know, you take away fifty two possessions that end without a shot, they scored 
89 points on 52 possessions and with the shot. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Just if imagine. They, I mean, and that's the thing. Ju- is- so, like, even if they cut that number down to, like, I still think the pace they play at and the amount of possessions they're going to have, I think 12 is a good number to be around for them. For turnovers in a game. I yeah. do. Mm-hmm. So, they're, so, when you think they had 18, they're not that far off from being where they probably can live. Um, but that's six empty possessions against – a league that's probably going to be really competitive, so those are important. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you might, you might, you'll you'll probably lose a few games by what three possessions or less. Yeah. And if you're giving away six of them, then that's not good. Right. You know, you're, you're, no doubt. Yeah, that's how you're going to cost yourself. Well, and I think that their thought is, is if <laughs> honestly, what's funny about it is the jump stop. I think yeah. that the setting your feet. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, play that was one to let everybody, whoever they wanted, answer that question tonight. Yeah. yeah. They do but practice it a lot. They, like, they do, but we, I mean, but that, it's, I think it's emphasized. In, I think in the like the coach's mind is like, if they can get to the point where that's ingrained, you might you might see those the eighteen drop to twelve, the, those six turnovers or whatever. Maybe that is enough to eliminate that because they get themselves into trouble um, when they when they jump off one foot in the lane just because you know they're just not as they're not as athletic and and as explosive as as they have been in the past, mm-hmm. to make up for that. But, yeah. I mean, I can't even remember when it was in the first half, but I I was watching the play. Either it ended in a foul or a turnover. I think it was a foul and uh, or maybe a deflection out, out of bounds. And Greg, I didn't see Greg McDermott, but I heard him yell jump stop, and as he did it, he, like, stomped on the court yeah. uh, <laughs> to make this, to sort of reinforce his point. And I joked with you. I said, I think Max is going to get teed up for yelling at his team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. That's right. Yeah, I remember <laughs> Yelling that. at his team yeah. just to jump stop. Mm-hmm. The refs are going to be confused because there's a lot of passion. Uh, so that's one thing. I think turnovers in the open court is another. You know, I think it, Damian Jefferson. How many turnovers do you have? Two? And I think they were both in transition. Like one was a kick out pass and the other was an offensive foul. Yeah, one was like he, one was like he didn't jump stop. He kind of like tried to slow himself up, and it's and he and it ended with a bucket. So if he had jump stopped, it would have been a bucket. Right, you yep. know what I mean. So like that's what you're. That's yeah, that's, that's what, you're what the coaches are saying. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's crazy the balance of the turnovers tonight. So like nobody had a terrible game, like but Martin three, and then you have five guys with two, and then Christian with three in fourteen minutes. So like there's some. It's, yeah, it's it's but, uh, an like, equal opportunity sloppiness, I guess. Right. Like, yeah. Well, I think and and I think about so I remember Davion Mintz's two turnovers. One of them was on a pass on an inbounds play. I don't know if the timing was off on that play yeah, or just lo- over and then into no man's land, or if he yeah. or if he forced it because he's like, this is the play that we ra- that we're running, and I see a mismatch. I think Martine got switched onto um, UMKC smaller dude that Xavier Bishop dude, and so that's one. And then the other one that Mintz had, I think it was a travel. Um, on a play when he should have just shot the ball, he was open in the corner, and if he takes the shot, shooting forty percent from three, yeah. probably going in. But he uh, pump faked and, dro- and drove, and 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 the refs called him for travel. So I just I, I feel like there are a lot of you can go down the line and list off all the eighteen, and you're like, well, they can fix that, they can fix that, they can fix that. But I think we've said that now. Um, after a lot of games where it's like, yeah, those well, those turnovers are correctable, but uh, and maybe this team, just given its makeup, its youth, what it has to focus on and what it has chosen to emphasize in practice, 
you know, it's possible that this could just be part of their DNA for the course of the season. Maybe they can get it to a point where it's manageable, but I don't, you know, it's, I think it's pretty clear they're not going to be a top 25 turnover rate team. I see, like yeah, you were looking at year. turnover rate, though, not the number? Yeah, I was yeah, looking at like, I feel like Not the number. Okay. But even the number, I, like, yeah, I don't the even The number itself doesn't concern me. You, the number, because yeah. again. But if, but well, let's uh, say the, the numbers. The nature of what they do. But. Let's say the number's 12. Yeah. Can that you think they can get to twelve consistent? Where they're averaging twelve that's a game I mean. in Big East yeah, play? I don't be, know. I yeah, don't know. I agree. That's I agree. the question. I mean, because they've only, like I said, they, they. Let's let's just try to figure out like, in terms of how many games they've had of twelve or under. Like it hasn't been many. Twelve has been a good game for them. So like, Western Illinois was twelve. Uh, Montana was twelve. Gonzaga was obviously eight. Nebraska was twelve. Um, everything else, that's it. Those yeah. four games. So they've only had four games out of the 13 where they've been under, where they've had 12 or fewer turnovers. Yeah. So while I think that's the ideal number for them, they haven't been able to consistently get there. You know what I mean? Right. So they've been above that. It just seems like it, it's been a, I feel like early in the year we were talking a lot about offensive fouls. Well, they found, they've kind of found a way to clean those up. And now uh, we're talking about just, I don't know, simple decision makings. I feel like they. There were times where they traveled a lot. You remember they start? What game was it? Was it Boise State or Georgia State where uh, they had three live ball turnovers in the first like Boise State? Boise State, yeah. Where they gave like, two pick sixes. Yeah, you're like, what day. is that? What is that? Mm-hmm. So I've, there's been a lot of moments where you just. I think I think we almost need to set up like a turnover bingo card for for the Jays because uh, you pick could, sixes, step out of bounds, <laughs> yeah, throw right. to nobody. Yeah, that's yeah. that's. I mean, and every game is going to be a different sort of uh, checking different boxes because of they've they found different ways to turn it over for whatever reason. But yeah. um, I know that the coaching staff is going to emphasize it a ton, and if. You know what we've seen from them defensively over the last three to four games is an indicator of okay. If the coaches stress something, there will be improvement. Mm-hmm. Then perhaps you know as they emphasize the turnover issue a little bit more, we'll see improvement the same way we we've seen it from those guys defensively too. So. Mm-hmm. I would imagine they'll get better, but I don't know if they'll get to the spot where they want to be just because it does seem like it's kind of ingrained in their DNA right now. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some individual performances uh, before we dive into what we know about Providence, and then we'll get to uh, questions because we have a few of those. But um, let's start with a couple individual performances. I think it'd probably be fair if we just say we're going to highlight Martine, and then I think – I want to talk about Mitch's defense tonight because I know it's been a struggle for him, but yeah, yeah. is that cool with you? We can just highlight those two guys. Um, because Martin had 11 points, 8 rebounds. Now he had 9 and 6 in the first half, so not as much in the second, but you know, that's three I don't straight. think he played as much in the second, right. maybe. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's three straight games in double figures. Um, <laughs> field goal percentage is absurd. Oh, I didn't um, even look at that. What is it? So he's 17, 22, 4, 28 from the field the last three games. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and okay. three of six I, from three. And and I, I'm i pretty sure he had five dunks against Oklahoma and five dunks against Coe. Okay. How many dunks did he have tonight? I know one. Yeah, he had one with on the hand one. Might have hung on the rim a little too. Oh, yeah, for maybe? A, yeah. He got warned for that too. Yeah. Just a he got talked to when he took the free throw and before the second half started. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, so I think that was his only dunk though. I okay. think. 
a lot sure. of a lot of dunks. A couple yeah. layups tonight too. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's but he's also grabbing rebounds. So he's at twenty five rebounds the last three games. So he's kind of getting back to where he was at that you know the, when yeah, he was playing did. really well last year before yeah. he got hurt. So, um, but also rim presence. That's something they've been working on a lot. Is trying to be, you know. They don't need to be like Joel and beat at the rim, but they need to be shot, shot alterers and wall up and protect the rim better on Joel penetration and stuff like that. So I think I think tonight was another example of Martin kind of turning a corner and getting kind of back to where he was maybe the other not thing totally too, last year, but close. Dude, the other thing, too, is uh, his ability to hedge on ball screens. Yeah, I, I and, mean, I think he's really effective in that area. Double-team uh, dribblers to keep them from turning the corner and kind of kind – of, totally disrupt an offense because when you're forcing your that point guard back out to... He chases it back out to, yeah, like what, 35 35 feet? feet yeah, probably, yeah. right. I mean, it's 30, 30, 33 feet, 35 feet. I mean, he, he moves them back out there, and uh, that's an effective play. It, it has it has resulted in turnovers. It didn't tonight, I don't think. They, but, I mean, you know, they got Gonzaga with a couple early in the second Ohio State, I Ohio remember State they got... Sure. I think Oklahoma, too, they... they mm-hmm. um, Forced a couple, so man, his his defensive efficiency numbers last year were really high, and partly part of that was because um, when he was doing that, he was doing it with Kyrie, yeah. yeah, and his defensive rebounding numbers yep. were were up there. But when when they lost him, it had, I mean, as it definitely had a clear impact offensively because he was putting pressure on the rim, but mm-hmm. also on defense. Even though he wasn't a high block percentage guy. He, his presence helped influence um, a lot of things defensively, and so for him to be to show signs now three games in a row that he's back feeling good and um, playing, be, just being more active, playing with more energy, I think that's huge. Yeah, too. It's I mean it's and it, and the other thing is that you know like Mac mentioned it today in the in the post game that. They kind of felt like this was the time around when they felt like they might get him back uh, to where he was, yeah. and it's starting to look like that. Uh, I just think from the perspective of having a guy like that with athleticism who can do all the things you just laid out right there, because we don't know what Jacob Everson's outlook is for the rest of the year, and if we were to describe it, which we had a lot of questions about it tonight, um, I would say not good. So you don't know what's there. Then probably the best rim protector after that is maybe Christian, but he's obviously behind the eight ball in terms yeah. of his development. I will say right? I so, thought I thought Samson did a pretty good job of being in position. He doesn't yeah. he's not like a get up off the floor type shot blocker guy, but he's a seven footer. You put you put those arms up, mm-hmm. you can affect a shot by doing that. And I thought he I'd have to go I mean, I'm I'm eager to kind of look watch the game again because I do think he altered some shots just by being in the right spot. And I think yeah. they where they give him one block. Yeah, two blocks, two, two blocks. They gave him two blocks. So, um, I thought he. I honestly, I might have been his best sort of rim protector, be in the right spot yeah. game for Samson. But I definitely, I, do think the four, I agree. I, do, I get what I get. What you're saying, mm-hmm. like about how important Martin Crumple is mm-hmm. in that aspect of the game for this team. And the other thing Mac mentioned too was the his rotations, like shortening up his stints on the floor. Like, oh, for Martin. Yeah, yeah, that way you can kind of like. You know, he doesn't get – because of all the things he has to do defensively in the ball screens that you brought up before, 
it takes a lot of energy, especially with how much he has to run the floor on the other end of the floor in transition. Yeah. Maximize so, what he can give you. Yeah, in by in short bursts, right? Right, like limiting his minutes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his his emergence the last three games has been really big, and I think going forward, if he can keep it up, um, it changes things quite a bit for Creighton in terms of just how diverse their offense can be, but also, you know the importance of finishing defensive possessions with the rebound or f- affecting shots at the rim. Um, and then, like we said, uh, you know, disrupting offensive rhythm and timing with how much he's able to hedge and put pressure on those ball screens and, yeah. you know, chase that point guard out to the half-court line. That's another thing, by the way, that Creighton has improved on is defensive rebounding percentage over yeah. the course of the last three Probably. or four games. Yeah, and while the, while the opposition is, like, gone down yeah that's like, true there it comes with that so you have to like take that with a grain of salt yeah there and as and I but guess, if nebraska was the worst of what they were in that area they've clearly made an emphasis yeah. to improve that so they have done what they've tried to do so that's all you can kind of measure it on right you just have to see if it well, tra- if it keeps going providence will be sure like we'll know we'll know yeah but they if made it really they, made but, but they made a they made a point to say look this is unacceptable we have to be better going forward and so far they've been better going yes. forward now the can, truth, they, can they do it when the, the competition ramps up yeah, again? And yeah, the yeah. physicality and yeah. the, when, when the grind gets the, going. Of the opponent. All right, uh, give, give your sort of perspective on Mitch real quick, and then we can talk okay, about it. Okay, so, like, Mitch is a guy that I think gets has, like, been pegged as a shooter. Um, so zero shots tonight is, like, not a game where you would normally highlight Mitch Ballack. And I'm, I haven't been on the message boards yet, but I'm pretty sure people are probably going to be like, you know, we need Mitch to be taking more shots than zero. Um, and he, took only, he only took three against Coe. So the last two games, since going 0 for 11 against Oklahoma, he's only taken three shots his last two games. You would probably think that's a bad trend. And while I might agree that he should take more than three shots in two games, um, I thought defensively tonight was a big step forward for him. And, you know, you and I know what he's, how much he's struggled in that area, because, and we've seen it in practice as well. Um, but I thought tonight he was much better defensively now. You know, not all of his stops are like sometimes it's a, you're at the mercy of a shot maker at that point. Um, you mentioned something on three point defense the other day when we were just talking about it, like how you don't really control that much part. Yes, yeah, so, I mean sometimes you can defend it perfectly and they just hit a shot on yeah. you. So, but tonight he didn't. He, you know, he only scored two points and he only didn't take any shots, but he didn't give up anything. From what I was able to count in real time, he didn't get scored on the night. Um, he didn't give up any. You know, no field goal makes. Um, you know, he forced a couple turnovers. He got on the ball. He got on the floor for a loose ball uh, that turned that resulted in a steal early in the first half. He was the first to floor the floor for it. Um, so I thought that was good. I thought his energy level was good. I thought on the defensive glass he was really good. I think he ended up with five. Right? Five, five defensive five out of boards six, and yeah. an offensive board. Yeah, yeah but, but I mean, he had some good blockouts against some bigger guys, and, and the other which thing, is going to be important going forward. I was just and then say, obviously his playmaking, yeah, you know, on offensive. Being able to see he wasn't forward. invisible offensively; he just wasn't shooting. I so thought I thought he had a really good game. I agree. I agree with you. Um, I feel like the fouls are a good indicator of where Mitch is at defensively because okay. he's picked up a lot of fouls when players have gone at him, and I think a lot of that is just because he's either been. Not just not been in the right position, or maybe hasn't moved his feet. He kind of talked to us after the game about not being in a stance, like kind of sitting too high. Yeah, yeah, he and, gets too and, high. Yeah, the hips not, get too high. Right, yeah, and not yeah. bringing bringing down low, so you can kind of be a little bit more agile and react to ball handlers. So I think he's 
when he's gotten in trouble, he's had to foul to prevent a bucket, basically. And so he only had one foul tonight. And I, I know that doesn't it was, always... And it was on the floor, too, in the first half. Yeah. So like, and, was, it didn't result in free throws. Right. I don't... Yeah. That is, that's not always the best indicator. So right. don't look at that every game. But I do think that, that tonight it, it kind of fit. Well, I just think tonight was a big step forward for him. Yeah. Because he's been, like... For for even for the games where he was shooting well, he's been giving up buckets. You know what I mean? And he's probably he could probably either him or Tyshawn. I think if you look at it, have been their worst defenders in terms of how much they've given up per possession. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and teams are picking on him too. So yeah. like Oklahoma and, and, did, and it started with Western Illinois that very first game. Like yeah, from but, that point on. But Oklahoma, so. Oklahoma, well, partly it was because they had a couple guys that had a height advantage on on Balak, and they were quick enough to get into the lane against them. But man, it just seemed like every time. They got an advantage spot where he was closing out, or or uh, maybe it, uh, the defense was scrambling a little bit. They went right at Mitch, mm-hmm. and so he said he took it personally. Like he 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 knew it. He recognized that Oklahoma was targeting him a little bit, and and, uh, and he's heard from the coaching staff a ton in practice about you know, just needing to be better. And he's, he said a lot of it's just taking pride and and mm-hmm. kind of just lighting that competitive fire internally and really wanting to to be better and so he's tried to do that and, they, and, and, and we've heard like good said, defenders mention defense uh, you know being a good defender is about your mentality yeah and, i mean who are we to argue i mean for so for all the things that mitch lacks in the measurables i guess his want to can can get better yeah you know in that area of the floor which can make him a better defender no doubt so i thought tonight while it's umkc i get all of that yep i do i understand the opponent and all that but it was a i think it was a step forward for him because like I said, no matter what the opponent was, he was getting scored on. Like right. Western Illinois, it doesn't matter who you want to peg for it. So, um, you know, go college. Like, seriously, go college, bang threes on him. So it doesn't even matter who it is. So I thought tonight, opponent notwithstanding, I thought tonight was a really good game from him, especially on that on the floor. And I'm curious to rewatch it because I kind of want to see, like, how much it was, well, yeah, I guy just missed a shot there. The closeout wasn't that right. great versus how much he actually did do the things they're talking about is – like staying in a stance, staying low, keeping the hips low, and all that sort of thing that they've been emphasizing with him. So it's going to be an interesting rewatch for sure. Um, what, do we know, what do we know about Providence, I guess? we talk about them next? Yeah. Uh, what are we at right now? 30 minutes? Yeah. What do we know about Providence? I haven't, I've, I haven't watched them since probably the Michigan game, but I have Texas on my DVR, so... Oh, I didn't watch Texas. I wish I would have because yeah. they're. I mean, without AJ Reeves, is a little bit different team. Yeah, and we and think so, he's. We were pretty sure he's not going to be back. I, for I that, think so. he's not. There's, it's kind of up out. in the air, but we we're doubtful. Right, and so that may impact because they're actually shooting the ball really well. I don't know if you can pull uh, from three, from um, three. Yeah, I don't have provinces. I'll look it up. If um, you want to go, they're shooting the ball from three, but I wonder how much of like surprisingly well. I don't know what the number is exactly, but. I was when I saw it, I was like, "Oh!" But I don't know how much of that is AJ Reeves because I know he's shoot, he's shooting it really well from three mm-hmm. um, during his debut season. And they have been at times they've been prone to to scoring droughts, and and they're they're as inexperienced as Creighton is. Um, they had to replace a lot last year, right? And and especially given how much that offense ran through Kyron Cartwright, like he was. When he played well, Providence was a different team. And when he didn't, like, when he played well, Providence yeah, looked they like... Went, they went out. Right, they looked as good as anybody in the country. And then when he didn't play well, I, they looked like they shouldn't be an NCAA tournament team. 
um, shoot, they made that run to the Big East tournament last year, and so or the tournament title game last year because he played so well. When you lose him, things change, and and I think they've had to adjust a little bit. But Alpha Diallo's played pretty well. If you look at his numbers, he's doing a lot of different things and impacting the game in, in several different ways. You like him a lot, don't you? Like do. he's your guy. I don't think he's taken the step forward that I thought he was going to take, but I do like his game. Um, when did Reeves go out? Do you know? Reeves went out in the UMass game. Is that yeah, right? That sounds right. Okay, so yeah, their three point percentage has gone down drastically since then. So let's go from Siena to. I love sports reference. So they were shooting 38% from three as a team from the first game of the season until UMass. And then... Okay, that's not working. But, I mean, short sample size, so 17, 22, 41, 54. So they're 22 of 54 since then. I don't know what that comes out to, but it's definitely worse. Yeah, I mean, they've had, two, they've had two games in a row where they've been under 40%. Um, after Central Connecticut was uh, above, well above forty, but yeah, they were eleven. Opponent notwithstanding, but I mean, I was they, gonna, yeah, that's true. The opponent kind of impacts yeah, the eleven of twenty three, but yeah. six of eighteen against Albany, and then five of thirteen from three against Texas. I think, I don't know, that guy. He when you have a shooter like like AJ Reeves, and mm-hmm. I think of that man. You remember that shot he hit against Boston College? To put yeah. that, I mean, that was a Big deep time. three that he just sort of stepped into and launched with confidence. Um. That he he's probably the reason. This has why been a, other than the Texas game until the Texas game, I guess. I mean, Boston College I think is good, but I don't know if they're where Creighton is. But the Texas game was an eye opener. But I don't think they before that they had really beaten anybody that made you go wow. You know, I felt like they lost the teams that maybe you can argue wish I say they shouldn't have lost. No, they shouldn't. Certainly not UMass, but. Yeah, right. Other than that, I felt like they pretty much did what they should do to that schedule. Yeah, um, but they were inexperienced, you know. So yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Right. you don't know how that's really going to impact the team, and you would think. I mean, the, this is probably crappy analysis of the, Providence. We apologize. Like I, I just haven't watched it very much. I watched South Carolina. I watched Michigan, and then I haven't seen them since. The so. presumption, though, is that um, you when that. You go to Texas and you win. That that's signals that you're making improvements. Yes. So yes. Maybe Coach Cooley and his staff have a different opinion. Maybe they think that some things just went their way in that game. Um, but I would say that they're they've gotten better, and so I think. And we do know they have really good players like Watson, uh, Mikhail Ashton, Langford, Alpha Diallo. The guys we've mentioned, like you know David Duke. We we know they've got. Players. And athletes. Yeah. And we know that they're And they know they're gonna to try to make it really physical. And, and their style can has given Creighton problems. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really Yeah, that those and that's that's less about but Creighton has never played a game against Providence where it's been a Creighton game. They've won against Providence, but they never played a Creighton game against Providence where they've controlled tempo and it's been and Providence has kinda of had to chase them around. Even with it's that, always been Providence dictating how the game goes. Even and with that maybe team, wins it by surviving, but they've never really played to their style against them. Two years ago before Maurice Watson got hurt, they went to Providence and that game was like it felt kinda of chunky and, mm-hmm. and clunky. Uh I think Maurice Watson actually had a pretty good game by the end of it, but and Creighton won fairly handily, but I think he had the flu that night too, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. It didn't flow well. Mm-mm. Um so you're right. Providence usually dictates the terms of this game. Yeah. 
and whether in terms of engagement or yeah, <laughs> whether they've got four seniors or a bunch of freshmen and sophomores like this year and then whether they've played fantastic basketball for three weeks or they've kind of been hit or miss like they have been mm-hmm. i think you know where you're going to get and so it's going to be a challenge for creighton because they're going to have to go in there with the mentality of we're going to have to grind this out yeah, I think that's as much as I want to say. Because, like I said, I haven't watched the Texas game, so I don't know how many strides they've made since the Michigan since game. Since Michigan. They didn't look good. No, they didn't. But, I mean, Michigan makes you not look good, so there's some degree there of how good Michigan is. Um, let's see. Let's jump into questions here. Um, we got a few on Jacob. So, one, two, three. Three on Jacob, it looks like. So, let's just figure out which one sounds the best. Um, what's the latest on Everson from Brad York? Um, well, he's dealing with a couple things. Obviously, the knee isn't as bad as it was at the start of the year, so he made, you know, a stride there. But then once that happened, the back kind of um, became an issue. So I think what the team is trying to do, and Jacob's parents are here this for this game and this week, um, and there's some conversations being had about what his immediate future looks like. Uh, whether they pursue a medical hardship or not, or whether he can, you know, find a way to fix the problem and then get back in good enough shape to where he's ready to play at the end of the season type of deal. So I would just say at this point, out indefinitely is probably the best way to say it right now. Um, And they're still evaluating their options. And, yeah, his status, I guess, for the rest of the year is kind of up in the air at this point. Yeah. That's pretty much all I have. That's the best way to put it. Because it's... They're sort of looking at, okay, he can return, but how healthy will he be and how much time will he miss and how much time will it take him to get back to the point where he um, is able to contribute at at his normal level, you know? Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's something where he can get back actually pretty quickly, but there's going to be some pain tolerance and some management of the injury that's going to limit his effectiveness and... Is it better to sit out for a couple more weeks to get healthier? Like, I just think that they're trying to f- get a full handle on what exactly the injury is and what the timetable for recovery is and all just all the options that, that he has. Because, I, honestly, I feel like the decision will probably have been made quicker if it were January 30th right now or okay. January 27th it's yeah. December 27th and he's only played in nine games when your window is shorter and there's yeah. an opportunity for him to to apply for a medical redshirt waiver and get it because he'll have played in less than 33 percent of the games by the time the season ends but if if you know if he had already yeah he, and we should say he is under that so they, right if that's they, what if that, they do think, play another game and they do apply for it he is eligible for the hardships and that's what I'm saying like I think that otherwise the decision would have been made a lot faster right. because because you have that that option on the table, it's like we, you got to make sure that you um, do your due diligence. Really, do your due diligence to figure out what the best path is. Because um, you know, if it was again, if if he had if he had already, if he had played in all the games up to this point and wasn't eligible, then um, I think you. You just try. The decision to, would essentially make itself. Yeah, you whenever you're make, ready, right, you're ready for yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. So that I think that's where they're at. Um, next one from Bleed Blue. Uh, a couple of new plays tonight. 
Question mark. Um, yeah, they always kind of implement new stuff for every game. So yep. yeah, especially baseline out of bounds stuff for sure. Uh, yeah, so there are always they're always introducing new um, quarter court sets for the various matchups they have. So yeah, there were a couple new plays tonight. I don't know if the one that led to a pick six was one of them though. We think there was some confusion on that one in general. The baseline out of bounds one. Yeah, the one where Martin was like kind of center. Yeah, I don't know which of the paint. I don't wait. know if that was new or not. I don't think so. Well, they've run they a lot of times they've run these those those baseline out of bounds plays that I feel like have multiple options. They're kind of reading things and they're also forcing. I mean, they're they're screening for one another and forcing the defense to react, and then yeah. they kind of react off that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that play. Hmm, it, it looks like. There's some sort yeah, of they like can, they can scrap that one if they want. <laughs> I don't know. It, based, no, if, if we're, if we're based on but results, I think they got yeah. a mismatch. They did. They, they did. just the, 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 touch the was timing off. or the pass was off. Something was something went awry. Yeah. There were, I always usually what what they'll do is at the start of the game, and I would imagine after timeouts. I guess I have never asked Greg about this or for what they do. Um, that I know in practice they do this where they he usually has two play calls. Um, so at the start of the game, they'll run a set play, and then they'll have another one in, in the back of their mind. And when they get back to a half court setting, maybe they run up and down a couple possessions, and then that next possession they run that play. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because that Green Bay game, if you remember, it was so up and down. So they had two play calls out of halftime. They ran the first one on the first play of the half, and they didn't get to the second one until the ninth possession. <laughs> their ninth trip down, they finally like it got to a point where it was slowed. The pace had slowed to where they could actually run the second play. Yeah. Um, I don't think they. I don't think they call two plays out of timeouts too often. I know they. Call, I'm sure they call at least one. But mm. um, yeah, they like you said, they always put in new plays for based on the opponent. So they're. I'm sure they'll have a. Yeah, a few uh, different calls. It's been pretty Providence. consistent throughout the season that every game has had some new, and, a new wrinkle to it. And another thing that's just kind of interesting to note that I didn't realize, but covering the team and sitting courtside, you kind of get a read on this too. Big East teams know your play calls. Yes. Um, when they you do. make a call, Jay Wright is really good at like cupping his hands <laughs> around his mouth. So like, and you see Matt like leaning over to try to like, yeah, yeah it's 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 when you make a call. Sure. There's a lot of times when you make a call that the the players on the bench or the coaches are shouting to their team what is about to happen. Yes, and I think I think I heard. I, again, I didn't ask Coach McDermott this, but I think I heard him tell the guys that they've switched up their calls and and because I think you have to do that over the course of the season. Yep. Um, and maybe you run a play that's really similar to what you had run earlier in the year. It's a different call, but it's pretty simple, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, and especially when you consider that Ed Cooley and Coach McDermott have coached against one another for a long time, like their staffs know each other pretty well. So it's hard to, it's really hard, I think, to, to once you get into league play, to have, um, moments where don't you remember that Ohio State game where uh Chris Holton was like yeah I wasn't really calling plays because McDermott McDermott knows all our play calls so Uh I was worried that if I called a play they know what was coming and so I I feel like that happens in the Big East a lot sure you can think uh what was the game it was the Villanova game when Jay Wright said that that Greg McDermott got him with a play call I think it was one of those in the last four minutes or whatever yeah Yeah. it might have been 
Villanova went zone and, and Creighton came. It was like the first time they had gone zone since like the first half. Right. And, and then Creighton was ready to counter with a yeah. lob and, and Jay Wright was like, dang it, he got me. But those moments don't happen very often no. because usually these teams know each other so well. It is. It's, uh, it's fun to watch that though because there is like a battle within a battle. Um, you think it's all just like the game gets so caught up up and down and you get caught up in watching the the ebb and flow of it that you don't realize when it does slow down, that's when like the tacticians start and then you watch like yeah. both – so, like, if Villanova has the ball, you watch Jay Wright make a call, and you watch Mac try to read it, yeah. and then yell at his guys what the call <laughs> right. is. Like, it is really fun. Like, for how for only having a 30-second shot clock, how much actually happens within the first yeah. 15 seconds uh, to get everybody on the same page defensively. It's pretty funny. Um, last one, I think. This is our last question. Uh, what did you think of UMKC's, UMKC's uniforms uh, reminiscent of Golden State? Yeah, I thought that was the first thing I thought of when I saw the. Same. I thought they were Golden States too, but uh, Robbie Lula was sitting next to me. He thought they looked like the old Denver Nuggets uniforms. The color scheme isn't the same, but the design, I guess. Yeah, I, I can see, see that with the old Denver Nuggets. But yeah, they did remind me of Golden States uniforms. I like them. That looked good. Yeah, I thought it was a little good look. I think when you got is that, was it, Kansas, yellow, it was the Kansas City skyline. Is that what yeah. was on the front? Yeah. yeah. So I think anytime you honestly, I'm pro skyline of like a city school. So I feel yeah. like I don't know. You know, Creighton's not Omaha. Like they can't do that. They can't but do UNO, that. I think, because they're yeah, UNO could do the it. Omaha thing. If they put the emblem, yeah, like, it'd, only, it'd only be like two buildings. Yeah, that would be the sky. I mean, for them, like it's where they're even located. They probably have to do like I don't know. Um, what's that park? Elmwood Park or whatever? And the, <laughs> yeah, the golf course or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> they have like their tower. What's that? Yeah. their clock tower. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, right. They can't. They don't know if they can. I don't know if Omaha downtown Omaha is their territory. Uh, yeah, and, so. and and it just doesn't have the same Field feel team. as as maybe they can skyline. do an Exarbon Village like skyline. Yeah, like, they, they know, got Baxter the Baxter Arena and uh, like, the whole deal. Yeah, they got the that. That's their territory. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, 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 that new building, that new architectural firm built a building down mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah, that looks good. Maybe yeah. that. Uh, so I mean, if you and I was listening to our podcast right now, design tips. Yeah, just we're we're multifaceted. Yeah. It's not just basketball. We have other ideas. What is UMKC? Are they Nike? I didn't even look to see what 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 apparel come because I was thinking about how. Um, I mean, I don't see many basketball teams do a lot of uniform changes, do a lot of throwbacks. Yeah. Um, Well, a lot of basketball teams, like the good ones, have like. I mean, Duke, what is Duke? Like, if you put a skyline on Duke's uniform. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's like, you know, same with Gonzaga. Like, a lot of the good teams, you can't really do that. It could be a nice little Big East promotional mm-hmm. Saturday to have all their teams do a jersey switch up and say, like, we're going to put our city skylines on yeah. these jerseys because we, we're city campuses. Look at us. Yeah. Come I mean, play St. John's for our teams. obviously look at St. John's and Seton Hall would have to like battle for because Seton Hall can see New York skyline. There's a, so there's like, just be like off in the distance over the river. Yeah, yeah so like, <laughs> it would just be like little peering dots. through the what's the what are those things you sit on like the those, pier with like yeah, the, the yeah those like binocular yeah exactly put a quarter in. <laughs> so maybe like one of those would be on the jersey as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe they can just play for like whoever wins the first game of the year gets to wear the skyline and then the second game or something like that. Yeah, because yeah. I. I'm sure Queens has a little bit of a skyline. Newark has a skyline. Yeah, I mean it's on their stat broadcast page. I think. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, we are New York's team. So, okay. Well, there you are. 
So yeah, I like the uniforms. If that's what you were asking, I, that's what. What did you think? Yeah, I liked them. It's a good look. Good luck, UMKC. I'm up. I was. I just was gonna say. I, I wish that Creighton would wear its blues all the time. Those are my. Wear favorite. the blues the yeah. Whole, all the time. Yeah. That's not really traditional of no. It college wouldn't. Athletics. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Turns like the Dallas Cowboys of college sports. Just wear the. <laughs> I like those blues a lot. So. Okay. I, that, I do like the blues. I'm. I'm. Wear I'm a fan of like a baby blue version of making its appearance one of these days. Hopefully, I don't. I don't. I'm met with resistance on that. I hear Rass is not a fan of Baby Blue. Well, that's uh, there's so many other. Teams it has to probably have to do with a lot of the death threats North Carolina fans <laughs> sent him after that NCAA tournament game. They probably soured him on the color, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I was still like there's to see a, a lot of baby, baby there's blue a lot of Baby eventually. Blue. Yeah, there's so much blue in the Big East that you feel like they. That's you, what I mean. Like blue is such a color you can go places with. Yeah. creatively. And I feel like if you don't have alternate blues, you're doing a disservice to the color itself. You know what I mean? I mean, how many how many blues are in their logo? Yeah, like they got four three or four or, different yeah, blues. Right? Yeah, So, you know, mix and match. And there is baby blue-ish version of it. In like, the logo? Yeah, in the logo. It's so very like, not, it's not too bold with listen, the baby just, blue. Listen, we're just, any percentage is a percentage. Right. So, use it, in my opinion. Are you a baby you're wearing it right now, pretty much. Right. So I've you got can't a knock it right on. now. And the tie, too. John has it in the tie and on his shirt, in case you're wondering. So, what we're basically, doing. what you're saying is the outfit that I have on, which is a, yes. a baby blue dress shirt, the tie is mm-hmm. more black and gray with yeah. dark, with like striped, tiny, like small stripes that are blue, right. accented by small blue stripes. Yes. And it goes from light to dark. Yeah. Like my uniform. What your, your uniform tonight is, is what they, what should, they wear. should wear. Yeah, let's see. You know what? And I'm gonna I'm gonna get on Mac because he he got on you for wearing purple when they played. Uh, <laughs> yes. Who they play? Who was their exhibition opponent or whatever? Uh, Winona. Yeah, yeah. I definitely he got on you wore, for wearing their school colors, and then tonight you rock the Creighton colors, and he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't give you any props. See, like that's messed up. Yeah, that's inconsistent. That that was a mistake. I didn't. I usually try not to. Uh, you try to go neutral colors. Try to go neutral. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, honestly, again, I'm not even sure why I wore. Honestly, I wore baby blue today because it's not a it's not Creighton's color. You know, it's baby blue. I didn't yeah. realize that you're educating me now that I gotta be careful with my blues. Yeah, you do. Although well, I mean, you usually a Big East play, just embrace it all together. And just well, like, here's what you guys should wear tonight because I'm rocking this. Right. So usually a Big East play, I just go. I can go. I can be fine wearing blue because everybody's blue. Yeah. But yeah, I did. I did rock a purple. I got. Um, as it turned out, the purple I wore matched exactly the uniform of my own state, and I didn't even think about it. Um, but I did that. I the worst scenario for me when I, I was covering Nebraska women's basketball was the year that they had uh, went undefeated through the regular season, and I went on the road to cover a couple games, and I went to Oklahoma and wore an an Oklahoma mar- maroon shirt dress shirt, and I didn't even realize it. And they said they spotted me as I was walking in. They they bust in while I walked in right next to the bus, and they were like, "What? Oh boy! <laughs> yeah. So you have a history of doing this? Right? I do. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, it's it's a problem. Okay. It only it usually it doesn't happen often. Yeah, you need to be more aware of what you're choosing before. Like right? No, I should. Right, who are they playing? What colors do they wear? I, I need, what do I need to avoid? That's what I, I yeah. can't remember who I might have been. Coach McDermott. I was like, I, I honestly did not know what color they were. He's like, Do you have Google? <laughs> Like what? Yeah. Just type it in. On he your was phone. ready for your excuses. <laughs> yeah, he was. Right. He was. Yeah. 
was like, ah, it's, yeah. But yeah, they weren't going to fly. That was funny. Um, well, I think that's about it. Where are we at? Yeah, that's about it. Um, can we end? So yeah, you always know. I was just going to say, can oh. we end real quick on uh, – I thought you asked a good question to Coach McDermott just about their non-conference schedule and what they thought they got out of it. Okay. Um, they finished 9-4, and four, which is – Honestly, and probably they beat who they should have and lost who they should have. Like you know, it's, it looks like it went basically how you would expect it to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wonder, like, when you sort of like dig into the weeds of it, how did you feel that Creighton managed that the trial by fire type of deal? Yeah, yeah. that that idea. I, I think in an ideal world, even though Greg McDermott said, "Well, we 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 probably are better off for having." gone through those fires or, or sort of learning through those those tough lessons against those top tier teams mm-hmm. but I think in a perfect world you wouldn't schedule the way that they did um, with an, experience, with an inexperienced, inexperienced team I think they they created this schedule with the idea that Kyrie Thomas was going to be on this team and um, he Justin, wasn't Justin Patton yeah. well I don't know about Justin because you don't think they oh, I guess, maybe I a little bit I don't know how much in far, how far in advance the Gonzaga game was probably scheduled with Justin in mind, Maybe, right? yeah. There's. Yeah. I th- when did they make the? I don't know when they came to terms on that. Yeah, it's a good. Because they that's played a good the first question. one last year, right? They had played Oklahoma before, so that was probably a conversation they've always been having. Nebraska's the other tough one. They play that every year. Yeah, and then the Cayman Islands. You figure a Clemson is always going to show up. A Clemson ish right. team. And the is Gava games are just yeah. that's just part of it. Right. But it's right. really Oklahoma and Gonzaga, and then also just sort of the uh, the mid tier mid majors that they played. They probably would have subbed out a couple of those yeah, and put yeah, in yeah. some um, some lighter competition just to help um, help expedite some of those I guess, growing pains. But I guess how I feel about it is, I think the Big East is a good league, not a great league this year. I think there are, and I, and I think it's gonna. I think there are good teams, not great teams, in it. But I also think there are some teams that aren't very good that have probably played above their level because of their schedules. I think. First of all, I think Georgetown has not played a very great schedule, and they don't look better. They're younger than they were last year too. Yeah. And they don't look better than than last year. They I, don't. I opinion. agree with that. I think they miss Marcus Derrickson badly. Yeah. Um, DePaul, to me, while they're healthier than they were last year, they didn't play anybody tough, and the only tough teams they did play, they lost to. So I don't know if they've made a jump. Um, St. John's hasn't tested themselves against anyone, and St. John's and DePaul both have played just dreadfully awful schedules this year um, so it's hard to evaluate them I think Marquette is the team to beat in the league right now and I think they've proven that um, but Creighton's played the toughest schedule in the league you know toughest non-conference schedule in the league I think, and I think when you look at how close the Ohio State game was on the stretch uh, Gonzaga to an extent for about 30 minutes um, I won't say Nebraska that I don't think they I don't think even if Creighton had done the things that we feel like could have made it interesting would have been able to get over the hump in the long run. They probably could have made it closer, but I think that's a loss no matter what. Oklahoma, I feel like, is a game that when you look at the way Tyshawn and Mitch shot the ball, if they're even just average that night, it's a different ball game. Yeah. Um, so I think when you look at the losses they've taken, I feel like a more experienced team could have taken some of those games if they're at the later point in the year, which they will be when they play the Big East team. So yeah. I do think this schedule – the trial by fire, making mistakes against teams that can make you pay for mistakes is going to be a benefit in the long run for this team. Um, knock on wood, if they stay healthy. 
uh, because that's always that's been the bugaboo the last two years is they've lost a really important piece at the at a really crucial time. Um, so, yeah, I think that eventually they're going to turn a corner, and you know I feel like they'll finish the season strong. And whether that is enough to make the NCAA tournament or not, I think no matter what, I'd be surprised. I would be surprised if I'm going into prediction territory. I would be surprised if you don't end this season feeling good about their outlook going forward in the next year and beyond. Yeah. With the with their core intact. Right. That, that's that. that's where I'll go with that, I guess. So I think the schedule has been good for them, even though even though they've beaten who I think you would argue they should have and lost to who you would probably expect them to lose to. I still think they've learned they've experienced they've had they've gotten good experience out of it. The one thing I'll say that's been a little bit odd is just that I've been surprised at how well Creighton has played against some of these mid-major teams and surprised at how poorly Creighton's played against the best teams. You know what I'm saying? And and it's not that Creighton really played eh, they didn't play well against Oklahoma. They didn't play well against Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I guess they did play well against Gonzaga for 30 minutes, as you said, but there yeah. was a stretch there. Um, Ohio State. I would say if you were going to try to take two performances that probably could have led to wins, Ohio State and Gonzaga are the two, right? Probably. Yeah. Um, they could have found a way to win the Ohio State game despite playing as poorly as they did in the first half offensively. Yes. Yeah. Um, and even at the early point in the year when they still weren't clicking, they still uh, could have. They were up four with like three minutes left or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. So, um, and then didn't score. So, yeah, I'm still – I feel like they're about where I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Certainly record-wise, I think I had them at 9-4, and four, but I haven't quite figured out that um, – I haven't quite figured out where to set this sort of potential meter, if that's a lack of a better way to phrase it, of where oh, this team can get like to. Like what's their what, – what, when they get to where they're at, how do you know they're there? Yeah. Okay. Because I don't – I've seen them sort of flex their muscle against the teams they're better than, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen them be able to flex their muscle the same way against the good teams on their schedule. And now, yeah. like I think we talked about this a week ago or two weeks ago that, I mean, I, I think you can make an argument that the these four, the four teams they played in non-conference, the four teams they lost to, are better than um, maybe all but one of one team in the Big East. Like, yeah, you could probably make that argument. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you, I mean, I would say Marquette and Nebraska are a toss-up on a neutral court. Yeah. I would say... Who would you take between Marquette and Oklahoma? I would take Marquette. Would you? Yeah. Um, Gonzaga I would put above anyone in the Big East when they're... Uh, I guess because you have to evaluate them on who played, who Creighton played. So you can't tell them. Full strength, I would definitely put Gonzaga above everybody in the Big East. But no, I take Gonzaga over everybody. And then at, who at, at the, ver- the yeah, version? Yeah, the, res- the version Craig played. They didn't and have then, Tilly or Crandall. Um, and Ohio State, I probably take Marquette over Ohio State, but I, I would, would take too. Ohio State over everybody else in the league. Okay. Same with, I don't know if I'd do that with Oklahoma. Though. I mean, Chris Holman's Maybe. proven that he's yeah. <laughs> Chris he can, Holman's he proven he's the top three coach in the Big East. He can handle the the, yeah. the league, but I guess mm-hmm. my point is is that. Um, they, uh, they, they, they may not. They're certainly not going to be tested. Um, the, the, I guess the top end of the Big East isn't as good as it has been in the past, and right. so that's where that's where the room to jump is. Right. Like you can, if you can put yourself in that spot, 
with a young team, you have a position, you have, you have an opportunity to stay there going forward. Yeah, because and, yeah. Cause like I think the league this year, because of how, because of the transition it's going through, has an opportunity to reshuffle the deck a little bit. Like Villanova has ruled it, and then you kind of know, well, Butler's probably next. Xavier and on down the line, like you kind of figure, you kind of you could probably peg the top four as Villanova, Xavier, Butler, Providence the last few years, right? So I think this year, what maybe Xavier feels like a bottom of the league team, Providence feels like a middle of the league team, Villanova feels like they're still in that upper tier, but does Butler like there's there's a chance yeah. to reshuffle things a little bit, and if you can do it with a young team like Creighton has, they have an opportunity to then stay there for a few years yeah. so that's yeah i did see that uh the good folks at cbs sports i think they had five of their analysts pick the big east and four of the five picked villanova still huh okay. yeah so old habits die hard <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like marquette is definitely a better basketball team than they are and they're the team that's given villanova a lot of problems butler right. has beaten them quite a bit seton hall creighton have obviously got the three wins against them over the years but Marquette's been a team, like a thorn in their side for for a while. Yeah. So I feel like this year Marquette's definitely better. Agreed. Just, you know, that's what I think. Um, but we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if Jay does it again. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. So uh, you know where to go for the work. Um, Johnny Atawa, Omaha.com. Uh, buy a newspaper. Check out all this stuff. Uh, recaps, notebooks. Uh, when's your next podcast with uh, Nebraska beat writer Chris Hetty? We might Mondays, record. Right? Yeah, usually, but Monday's Christmas or New Year's Eve, it so is, yeah. we might record one tomorrow. Okay, so maybe. New, new podcast coming up on Omaha.com. Yeah, maybe. Check that. May, oh, sorry. I want to make promises. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to yeah. commit to that. Maybe. Got busy. Um, Got a busy yeah, day on the there's plenty of content going up there. Like, you know, Creighton women have a bunch of new recruits. They get a new recruit like every 10 minutes, it seems, and. Uh, and they obviously have a big weekend with DePaul and Marquette coming up, so yeah. you know check out the um, storylines for that. And then obviously from UMKC and then the Providence preview um, for John at Omaha.com. And then um, over at White and Blue Review, all your post-game coverage from this, uh, the Blue Jay Beat podcast, um, Tom's Primers, My Notebooks, all that good stuff. So um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for following along. We appreciate you guys reading the coverage and following the coverage and interacting with us. On Twitter, we love your questions. Uh, we love your comments. Um, so, I yes. hope everybody had a great Merry Christmas, and I hope you all have a Happy New Year. So, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>